James Lawrenson, the Deputy Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome to the ACRI podcast. Cyber security, developments in the People's Republic of China and implications for Australia. That's what we're here to discuss today. To do so, I'm joined by Professor Greg Austin, Professor of Cyber Security, Strategy and Diplomacy at the University of New South Wales, Canberra Cyber, and concurrently a Professorial Fellow at East West Institute in New York. Greg's also a member of the New South Wales State Government's Cyber Security Advisory Council, a member of the National Standing Committee on Digital Trade, and has held multiple research leadership roles in globally prominent NGOs, including as Vice President of the East West Institute and the Asia Program Director in the International Crisis Group. And more, he's also held seven appointments in world-class universities and departments across the UK and Australia, and has published six books on Asian security affairs, with five focusing on China. His most recent book, Cyber Security in China, The Next Wave, was published just last year. Welcome to the Acri Podcast, Greg. Thank you, Jane. In recent years, cybersecurity has become a matter of pressing concern for governments around the world as reliance on computer and information systems continues to grow. Now, the PRC government has sought to develop its own stronger cybersecurity policy, with President Xi Jinping personally taking control of the Cyberspace Administration of China. China also seeks to promote its own concept of cyber sovereignty. The development and uptake of cyber systems generally has been particularly rapid and widespread in China, with the central government openly expressing ambitions for the PRC to become a leading global player in several areas of cyber technology, like artificial intelligence as part of Beijing's industrial policy, the Made in China 2025 plan. However, the PRC's use of cyber capabilities at a state level have increasingly come under international scrutiny and criticism, with other countries concerned about state-sponsored cyber espionage attacks. Increasing technological capabilities has seen in parallel increasing state efforts to exert control over PRC citizens, perhaps no more so than over its minority Uyghur population in the western province of Xinjiang. Greg, let's start with cybersecurity, the topic of your book. Can you introduce our listeners to how China defines the concept of cybersecurity and how does this inform China's overall approach to cybersecurity issues? Well, thank you, James. The Chinese government's definition of cybersecurity is almost identical with uh, those that we find in the West. Of course, it has additional uh, political dimensions and colour because of the way in which uh, Chinese government uses cyber systems. Uh, both domestically and internationally. Uh, There's not much difference between the way uh, China and the United States use their cyber systems internationally, Uh, perhaps questions of scale and scope, Uh, but there's a very significant difference between uh, the way China operates its cyber systems and its cyber security domestically compared with, say, the United States or Australia. The reality for China's cybersecurity is that it's very weak, and that's documented pretty well in my recent book. Uh, But this is uh, the the view of Chinese leaders, it's the view of Chinese specialists, uh, and uh, it's well documented. Uh, We can see where they've come from and where they're going to. Uh, For example, the skills deficit in China 
uh, in terms of uh, unfilled posts for cybersecurity professionals is already estimated at 700,000 and estimated to reach 1.2 million, sorry, 1.4 million by 2020. Uh, so uh, China's got a long way to go. Uh, President Xi Jinping more or less summarized it all very well when he said um, in uh, 2014, when he took control of the and set up the Cyberspace Administration of China, he said, there's no national security without cybersecurity. And so that's a pretty defining uh, point for them. In reaction to the Snowden revelations in uh, June 2013 and following, uh, President Xi set up this new uh, Chinese uh, administrative body in February 2014, or around that time it was announced that China wanted to become a cyber power. Uh, and that was put into even further perspective uh, in 2016 when Xi Jinping said, all of China's core technologies are controlled by foreign corporations. So that's really the, the high dependency situation they have. They're in a real position of, of serious weakness defensively. Uh, and that's demonstrated very well by the fact that an American company in 2013, Mandiant, was able to get right inside the office of a PLA unit. So the report is well known for exposing the depth and scale of Chinese cyber espionage. But what it also revealed was the, 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 the seriousness of China's defensive cybersecurity, because this company got right inside the room and could look through the, uh, the camera of the computer, actually see the people at the keyboard. Right. So, so, okay. so that's their, you know, on the one hand, they've got strong ambition. You can't fault China for ever lacking ambition, but they've got a long way to go when it comes to defense and cybersecurity. That's fascinating, Greg, because I guess I'm, I'm, a, you know, one, I'm a bit removed from this conversation. I'm an economist, not a cyber expert. And so the, the picture I get, of course, is, um, you know, China being at the forefront of these cyber, these offensive cyber capabilities. Now, in you, your book, um, Cybersecurity in China, you write that China faces several challenges in developing its own cyber defense capability. You've just given us one example there. Um, can you take us through some more of the challenges that China faces in, its, in ensuring its own cyber defense? And can you give us an idea of how much progress is being made or how much progress is not being made in overcoming them? Well, the departure point for cybersecurity capability uh, can be traced back to a few key sources. One is the quality of education uh, in cybersecurity, the quality of technical training. One is the uh, character of the cyber industrial complex, as we might call it. What are Chinese technology companies capable of doing and what are they actually doing and what's their trajectory? Uh, and uh, then there's a question of um, the take-up by government agencies and corporations of active cybersecurity measures. And if you look at universities, we see a very poor state of development, which was recognised by the Chinese government itself uh, when it upgraded cybersecurity to a level one discipline, so put it on the same uh, standing as maths, physics, chemistry, uh, medicine, law, and the like. Uh, but we can actually study the number of students in Chinese universities who actually undertake cybersecurity studies. We know the numbers of graduates. Um, we can trace the number of PhDs. Um, produced every year uh, on topics relevant to cybersecurity, and they all paint a very dismal picture. The same is true broadly of, and it follows axiomatically, the same picture is true of the Chinese cyber industrial complex. So there's two very large state-owned corporations which um, have been concentrating on electronics for decades. 
uh, they both figure in the Fortune 500, so they're not uh, they're very prominent, capable companies uh, to be amongst the Fortune 500, but they don't have uh, lots of people working on cybersecurity, so each of them might have three or 4,000, 5,000 people. Um, that sounds like a big number, uh, but we have to understand how that compares with the United States. One way to illustrate the comparison is that in 2014, the sum total value of all Chinese private sector companies, so the, leaving out the state-owned companies, but the total value of all Chinese private sector companies was less than the value uh, or the annual turnover of one United States cybersecurity company, the biggest in the world, Symantec. So uh, in 2014, the civil sector, Chinese security uh, capability, very underdeveloped, uh, want to re increase rapidly, of course, uh, but is absolutely overshadowed by the global capability of the United States um, and its allies. So China is desperately weak in cybersecurity. Its uh, cyber industrial complex is very underdeveloped, uh, and the majority of high-quality cybersecurity services delivered in China are almost certainly delivered by foreign corporations. That's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Given it is. that overseas we have such a fixation with Chinese tech companies delivering services here, um, and you're saying, well, actually, if you look at China, um, a lot of their core cyber services are being delivered by foreign companies. Is that correct? Yes, and the best example of this is uh, Microsoft won a contract with the Chinese government for the provision of Microsoft Windows 10 for government, brackets Chinese, uh, to service the entire Chinese government. So while we're here <laughs> complaining about Huawei, you know, maybe having a technology that's listening in to people, uh, Microsoft won a contract uh, for the provision of software, uh, licensed software, uh, for the entire Chinese government, which means that if they're using Microsoft Outlook or Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel, all of that's being delivered, that service is being delivered by a US corporation. Uh, and, but interestingly, the security uh, parameters of that system were determined in, a, in cooperation with the Ministry of Public Security in China. So we've got a situation where Microsoft lets the Ministry of Public Security into its entire system so that Microsoft can win this very big contract to provide uh, everything um, to the Chinese government. And that's against the background where the Chinese government was trying desperately for several years to develop its own system so it could replace Microsoft. Right. And it failed. Uh, so Microsoft has in its hands the cybersecurity of almost the entire Chinese government. Can I ask you this question? How does this issue not actually receive coverage here in Australia or in the US. Do you have any insight into that? I mean, we, we do spend a lot of time talking about Chinese tech companies overseas, but we don't talk much about the reverse. Why is that? Well, you can really count on two hands the number of people globally who study this question uh, inside China from the point of view of the cyber industrial complex. So I can count on one hand the number of serious uh, academic analysis in the West of the cyber industrial complex. Uh, so when I published my short book just last year, uh, it was the first book to look at the defensive capability of China uh, and to look at this question of well, what are the universities doing, what's the uh, civil, what's the cyber industrial complex doing. And so cybersecurity is a new field, that's one yes. thing. Find somebody with Chinese language skills who can study cybersecurity objectively in the West uh, is another thing. Uh, and then, um, you know, and that's a very hard thing. So... Right. That, that's the main reason. So. Okay. You're 
You're listening to the ACRI podcast with me, James Lawrenson, and our guest, Greg Austin, Deputy Director of UNSW Canberra Cyber. Today we're talking about cybersecurity developments in China and just as importantly, its implications for Australia. All right, Greg, we're the Australia-China Relations Institute. So in the end, um, our focus is on illuminating the Australia-China relationship. What's the implications for Australia? So I'd like to ask you a couple questions along those lines. Um, we worry quite a lot about what Chinese dominance of cyber technology, artificial intelligence, could have on cybersecurity in Australia. Um, do we need to worry about that? I mean, I'm assuming you're not saying this is not a genuine concern for Australia, is it? Well, uh, the nefarious activities of any foreign state in Australia is a serious concern for us. Uh, we need to understand uh, the dynamics of China's international engagement with the rest of the world. Uh, and for starters, I'd say that China is not dominant uh, in almost any field of technology, uh, much less cyberspace. Uh, China has amazing capability, which it deploys on a daily basis to spy on people in cyberspace. So there's no doubting China's massive cyber espionage uh, against every other country in the world that's of interest to it. Uh, but that's no different in a sense from what uh, other countries, major countries do. Where we have to be more concerned about what China's doing is uh, around the point I mentioned at the start of the difference in political systems. And so the Chinese government uh, invests large amounts of money in domestic cyber surveillance and in the cyber surveillance of uh, people it regards as hostile or not completely in sympathy with the Chinese Communist Party's political aims. So that means that anyone in Australia who is an opponent of China's political aims, uh, who uh, might be a Chinese citizen in Australia studying, uh, or who might be uh, son or daughter of Chinese immigrants or immigrants from China, these people are targets of, of the Chinese government. Uh, and uh, we have to understand uh, what's the relationship between the espionage conducted against those people by cyber means and any other methods of influence that the Chinese government might be trying mm. to apply. That said, uh, we also then have to go... So on a personal level, that's profoundly important and we have to protect Australian citizens um, from untoward pressure in cyberspace uh, or through other means. But that said, um, it's in the nature of the Chinese government to spy on whoever they can spy on. Um, and. They're not too different from other governments in that respect. Uh, uh, but we have to make a judgment about how effective all of that is and what damage it might be doing to China's image. Mm. And there's no doubt that in the case of Australia, uh, the revelations about Chinese cyber espionage activity, which have been reported in a rather hysterical fashion around the world now for a number of years, um, that evidence has that evidence and the hysterical reporting has uh, produced a serious downturn in China's international reputation, uh, which is very visible in Australia uh, and which, uh, at the end of the day, I think will force some sort of uh, uh, change in the way China is approaching these problems. Right. So, Greg, we do have to worry or be concerned by China's cyber capabilities, and you mentioned in particular its surveillance of its own citizens, even if they are in Australia. Yeah. Okay, well... That's of concern to us, the Australia-China Relations Institute, clearly. Um, it's of great concern if we've got Australian citizens who are subject to this surveillance when they're here. Do we in Australia, our own cyber 
defence capabilities, do we actually have the ability to protect those Australian citizens from the, that intrusion? Well, no country in the world has the ability to protect its citizens from cyber surveillance by other great powers. Okay. It just, it's just the character of the beast. Uh, you know, the uh, cyber defence is very difficult uh, in the current environment. Uh, the technologies were developed well after the underpinning uh, consumable type of technologies like the internet. Uh, and uh, the United States can't defend its citizens, it can't defend its corporations, and that can't even defend the National Security Agency, which is its premier espionage agency, which has been hacked, uh, presumably by the Russians, and their malware stolen. Uh, so can't, the United States can't protect its Office of Personnel Management, which um, lost something like 200 million records of its citizens, probably to China. Uh, and in the same way, Australia can't defend against this because that's the character of global cyber defences. Uh, and uh, in Australia's case in particular, uh, the Auditor General's Office has uh, hi highlighted year after year the failure of Australian government departments to implement even uh, you know, four high-priority strategies recommended by the Australian Signals Directorate uh, when those four uh, top-tier strategies are part of uh, 35 or 38 now strategies that the government, rec the okay. ASD, recommends. So Australia can't defend, the United States can't defend, and China certainly can't defend. Right. Okay. Okay, let me ask you one final question, Greg, and it's a bit of a big picture one. Sometimes I read about this new tech cold war developing between um, China and the US. Uh, I think it was called the Digital Iron Curtain. That's the danger. Um, is that something you're concerned about? And if the world does split into two technology blocks, what does that mean for Australia? Well, it's a very good framing. Uh, it's almost impossible to contemplate the possibility that such a digital divide will be brought down on the world, a digital uh, curtain. Uh, the integration of United States high-tech companies and China, the integration of the global economy with the Chinese money, uh, that integration is so uh, deep uh, and so extensive that we now use the word entanglement to describe it. Uh, this can never be untangled. Uh, without the collapse of, of the Chinese economy and the American economy. The world economy will collapse before there's a digital uh, iron curtain. Uh, and the United States foreign technology companies like Microsoft, I just mentioned, depend on China yes. for their future growth. And you can find the annual report of Microsoft about 2012, I think the year was, where they actually said, um, uh, we're, we, we're staking all of our future growth on China. Right, okay. And, you know, they don't say that anymore. Right. And they don't, didn't say it very often. I think that was a mistake in the sense that they let that out. But right. That's the situation. Um, that's the reality on the yeah, ground yeah, for them. So. And, it's, and still is today, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. All right. So a digital iron curtain isn't perhaps something we need to worry about. So the implications for Australia may not be as dire as some people worry them to be. Well, except we could point to the case, the recent case, where an Australian company had projected um, a co-investment uh, with Huawei, for example, at a $1 billion project, uh, and it was based on 4G technology. And when the uh, government uh, issued its guidelines on investment in telecommunications, that company lost $270 million Australian dollars that it had already invested. So, and that was TPG, is yeah, that correct? That was TPG. Right, yes, I yeah. do. Okay. And that... That's the sort of thing we're facing. So just to imagine that um, this current spate of uh, hysteria about uh, 
China's supposed dominance of this or that field and uh, you know the the risks associated with using foreign technology companies that hysteria is causing real economic penalty uh, and you can ask TPG uh, whether the figure was 230 million or 270 perhaps I've got that wrong but it was in excess of 200 million okay interesting times Greg Austin thank you so much for joining us today that was a fascinating conversation thank you Joan you can subscribe to the Acri podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or listen to all our episodes on our website australiachinarelations.org there you'll also find out more about Acri's research and events don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Acri underscore UTS and on LinkedIn thanks for listening